Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. If it were not for mothers, we would not be here. No, I, uh, I'm just amazed at the mothers in this place, not just the uh, biological mothers, but those of you who spiritually mother. We're just so grateful for you. I, I recognize that Mother's Day carries with it incredible joy, but also some sorrow, some sadness, some, some grief. And so I just acknowledge that for some of you, maybe thinking about a mom that you lost or mothers thinking about uh, children that you have lost or that are struggling, I recognize that pain. And so, yeah, I want to pray for us, maybe just for me. Um, So Lord, we just thank you for mothers, God. We thank you for the women here that have laid down their lives to give life, whether biologically or relationally and spiritually. We just thank you for the women in this place, for all that they carry. We declare that we need them, that we value them. And Lord, I pray for those who are, are, are wrestling just with, with the pain of motherhood. Um, Lord, I, I pray for your comfort and your nearness with them. In Jesus' name, amen. So I am uh, one of four sons, and then my parents kept going, actually, and had a fifth, which was a daughter. I'm the second born. And my parents said that if I was a girl, then there would be no more kids. Um, because the first was a boy, they really wanted a daughter. So my brothers should thank me for being me, uh, because they're alive. Um, but if you could imagine uh, the incredible grace that must be on my mom's life to put up with four boys. Um, somehow she did not try to control us for the sake of her own safety, but we were like wild men. Like we would bring frogs and crawfish and snakes and all that kind of stuff into the bathtub. We would go on crazy adventures. We would crawl through the sewers of Houston um, because we were like country boys living in the city and there was no country. So we would just like get flashlights and crawl through the storm sewage um, and see what we could find in there. We would do all sorts of stuff, fist fights, um, throwing uh, uh, like the house just totally upside down. There was this incredible grace on us as brothers that as we got older, my parents would leave us at home alone and we would fight, like all out fight, usually two on two kind of tag team style. And, uh, and lamps would be knocked over. Um, you know, there may be a little bit of blood and somehow we would all reconcile just before my parents would walk in the door and we would get the lamp stood up right before they came in and somehow. So um, if you think about Mothers, think about my mom and uh, pray just extra blessings on her for putting up with us. Um, we did family vacations. We're typically uh, like camping and hunting and fishing. Um, and she would just care for us. It was just absolutely incredible. Um, the truth is she raised four boys, but probably five, because although my dad's incredibly responsible, he's also ridiculously wild. Um, in fact, let me share one story with you. So we grew up in Houston, so coming to the hill country was like a getaway. Anybody from Houston and you'd get away to the hill country? Yes, and then you finally just moved here because you're wise. Um, Houston is a good place to be from, Amen. Uh, and so, uh, 
So we were, one time when my mom was pregnant, Lauren, you know, is pregnant now, so I just think about this. We were, I think she was pregnant with the fourth one, maybe. So we were rafting the Guadalupe River about this time of year. And the way we would do things is my dad would come home from work. On, this will make sense of my life to you. My dad will come home on a Friday and say, hey, pack up. We're going today um, on vacation. And so we would load up and go on vacation. And, uh, and so we were rafting down the Guadalupe River. It was probably a Saturday. And a thunderstorm rolls in. Um, before we know it, we are the only people left on the Guadalupe River. And we're still going. And at some point in that trip, my dad uh, is, you know, doing all the, all the paddling because that's all there were, uh, or because the rest of us were, were too small to do any good. We'd just lose the paddle. And so, but at some point we ran aground on a rock, which meant this, that it ripped a hole through the middle of the front of our raft. And so what my dad did is he took one paddle, he, he like cut out that part. And so then he took one paddle and like rolled up the middle on the paddle. So now we have basically an inner tube with like a little carriage for the rest of us on it. Four boys, my dad, or three boys, my dad, uh, and a pregnant lady uh, called mom. And at some point we're going down rapids and my mom, pregnant, falls into like the inner tube hole part, right? And so now we're like going down rapids and rocks and my dad, wild man Dan, he somehow figures out how to dive underneath my mom and like pick her up on his back. And now he's like holding her up, hovering over the inner tube part as we're going over rocks. And then eventually all like the picture, I have that picture in my mind and I have a picture of lightning striking and branches falling on us as we're going down. Um, and somehow we survived because there is a God. So anyways, that's for free for Mother's Day my attempt at stand-up comedy or something like that. Uh, we're, we're actually talking about the kingdom. Um, and this morning, I want to talk to you about kingdom family. Um, and and I, I believe that one of the greatest uh, re-revelations today is that God is not just king, but he's also father, and that that makes us his kids. And if we can learn how to relate to God, not as simply king, but as father, I think it'll transform us and the world around us. If we can learn how to relate to each other as siblings and not just fellow humans, I think it'll transform the world around us. And so in Matthew chapter six, verse nine, Jesus is telling the disciples how to pray. And he gives us in his first few words, he gives us an incredible key that I think should be foundation for almost all of our theology. He says this, when we pray, pray this, pray our father, Pray our Father. He did not say, pray my Father, either as in Jesus praying, hey, this is my dad, and you can have access to my dad, but he's my dad. And he did not say, pray your Father, as in, hey, this is your dad alone. But what Jesus was saying when he said, our Father, one, he said, our, which means that we have the same access to God the Father that Jesus does, that he was inviting us into his relationship with the Father. Two, he, he was saying that no longer do we have to call God, God who is distant, but the way that we pray, the way that we are in relationship with him is as Father, which means this, that we're family. And that Jesus is actually our big brother. He's our example of what life is meant to look like. And so we know 
that through Jesus's words right there, that our relationship to God, though he is a king, our relationship to him is as father. And if we can grasp that God is fathering us and that he has always been fathering us, then it'll change the way, the way that we live. I love the beginning of James, but it's echoed in, in Hebrews. And it says this, endure hardship as discipline because God is treating you as sons. You see, our tendency is to sing a song, God's a good, good God. And then we think, well, he doesn't seem good to me because life is not perfect. Life is not perfect. But when we begin to endure hardship as discipline, we realize that God's treating us as sons and more than spoiling us, he's interested in raising us, which means that we learn how to face hardship in relationship with him instead of be spoiled brats that have everything that they need and don't ever grow up and learn how to be strong and courageous. The end result is this, that we learn how to see God. It says endure hardship as disciplines because God is treating you as sons, ladies, you get to be sons here. I'm a bride. That's how it works. Um, <laughs> the Bible says that I'm a bride. That's the only reason why I'm a bride. Let me be clear. Um, and so, uh, so God is treating us as sons, and then we endure hardship as discipline because every legitimate son gets discipline. And discipline is, this, is for this reason. Discipline is so that you can share in his holiness. Kenny and I were just talking about this during worship. What happens is, is while we're worshiping, God starts speaking to Kenny, and so Kenny starts unloading it to me just about every time. <laughs> and I'm his like sounding board and processor during worship. Uh, and so w- what happens is, is that God actually entrusts us with his holiness. We don't earn holiness, we steward holiness. Discipline, which is how we should see every bit of hardship, teaches us how to steward holiness. And here's the great news about holiness. God is not trying to get you to be holy just so he can show you off. It goes on to say this, is that holiness is so that we can see God. You see, our holiness allows us to see God more clearly. And when we learn to steward what he's entrusted to us, it allows us to see him as he really is. First John 3 says this, that if we see him as he really is, then we'll become like him. So there's something about allowing God to to father us through hardship, which doesn't mean that hardship is from him, but it does mean that he's gonna make it count for something. And then the end result is that he's actually making us his, his kids. He's making us like Jesus. And the more that we see Jesus, the more that we become like him. And so with the clarity that we see him from, based on the holiness that we have, based on the, dis- the way that we endure hardship as discipline, it allows us to see God as holy. Let me say this to you. God will never waste a moment of difficulty or hardship that you've been through. Doesn't mean that he's caused it, but he's not gonna let it go to waste. He's going to allow it to cause refinement in you so that you can see him more clearly so that you can become as you are always meant to be, which is like Jesus. So that's the process that we're in. So Galatians 4, verses four through seven says this. It says, but when the Set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the adoption to sonship. Say adoption to sonship. sonship. Because you are his sons. Say, I'm a son. son. God sent, here's the reason why, we've said this before, but ladies, here's the reason why you are also a son. Doesn't mean that you're not also a daughter, but here's why you're a son, because 
In biblical times, sons received the benefits of full inheritance. And so there is no longer male nor female, slave nor free. And so here's the deal, or Greek nor Jew. You receive all of the benefits of sonship. doesn't take away your femininity. It just means that you receive it all. That's good news, right? Because you are his sons, God sent, this is good news, the spirit of his son into our hearts. We get the Holy Spirit. That's good news to me, at least. Not you, just me. Okay. (laughs) The Spirit who calls out Abba Father. The Holy Spirit allows us to relate to God as Father. So you are no longer a slave. Say, I'm not a slave. slave. But God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. Ooh, that's good news. Here's what it means to be an heir, by the way. It does not mean later that we get the benefits of our inheritance. It means that through the Holy Spirit, God has given us our inheritance in Jesus. Amen? So here's what we need to know about sonship. I could and probably do almost every Sunday talk about sonship because I think it's actually probably just about everything that we need to know. But let me just give you this and we'll move on. It says, uh, here, when it talks about adopted, it means here that we are readopted, that God has readopted those who were previously sons. You see, God has actually fathered all of humanity by breathing his breath into Adam. And so everybody finds their natural lineage in God because the breath of God in Adam made us all children of God. And yet Jesus says this, that you actually need to be born again to see the kingdom. Why? Because the kingdom of God is actually for family. That's why we have to be born again. We have to be born of the Spirit. And so when we receive the Holy Spirit, what happens is is that God is not adopting kids who are not his own, but he is fathering them again and adopting them spiritually so that spiritually we reflect who he is. So you've been adopted. It doesn't mean that you weren't already his, but it means that you get an upgrade in the way that you relate to him as son. We have direct access to the father. That's what sonship means. Anybody excited about that? I know you're asleep this morning, but you can talk to me a little bit. That's all right. I love this from from Pastor Tim Keller. He says, the only person who dares to wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. Not only do we have access to the Father, we have access to all of the assets of the kingdom. Ephesians 1.3, we've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm through Christ Jesus. Just like Lauren was saying, he, he's got the resources to get all the M&Ms in the world and then manufacture more. So often we struggle with lack, and lack is actually, I believe, a spirit that causes us to miss seeing God for who he really is. And every time you wrestle with lack, every time you think, I don't have enough this, time, money, relationships, all that kind of stuff, I want you to think about the way that you see God and say, hey, God, this is obscuring me from seeing you for who you really are. You're really a generous father. And I repent from participating with lack. We have access to everything in the kingdom. Here's what I love. 2 Corinthians 
3 and, and 1 John kind of say this also, but we, we look like our Father. The more that we see him, the more that we actually become like him. But the spirit of God in you, not necessarily with your eyes do you look like your father, but spiritually, God is putting his spirit in you so that you would grow up to look more and more like him. And then eventually when Jesus comes back, we know this, that the dead in Christ raised again to receive glorified bodies and those who are alive still will instantly in a flash, be changed to look like him. So God, as he's fathering us, is teaching us how to look like him, to live like him, and that's the part of receiving his heart. And so, so often we teach behavior modification, but the truth is, is that what we need a modification of is our beliefs so that we would come into contact with all that we already have available to us and that we would live from that place, knowing that I've got everything that I need in Jesus and now I'm just partnering with it so that I can live that out. Here's what I want to talk about today, though. Those are all about sonship, but what I really want us to get is that if we're sons, then we have a family. Turn to the person next to you and say, we have a family. You see, you weren't adopted into God's family as God's only kid. You're not the only one brought into the family of God. But we are bought in, are born into a spiritual family, which means this, that we're not only children, but actually that we are the family of God. The church is the family of the kingdom. And the kingdom is meant to look a lot like family. You see, when we think kingdom, here's the best definition, there's a few the best, one of the best I have is this, is that a kingdom is the king's domain. It's everything belonging to the king. Steve said a few weeks ago, in one of the best teachings on the kingdom that I've ever heard, he said this. He said that Jesus is not king of, of subjects. He's the king of kings because we are royalty. We're a royal priesthood. And when we begin to recognize our identity as royalty, that we have access to everything that heaven has, then we begin to live differently. It changes the way that we see God and that we live. And we realize that actually we're all God's kids and that we're royalty. We're not just servants. We're not slaves, but we're royalty. And that begins to change the way that we see. And, and what's awesome is that in that we have a family. What that means is this, is that if you, maybe you were an only kid or, or, or maybe you've lost your siblings or maybe um, you don't even know who your family really is, that you actually have a family, that you're not on your own. That you were, when you were born again in Jesus, you weren't just born into Jesus, but you were also born into kingdom family. Which means that you're not on your own. It also means that you don't belong to yourself. I love what David writes in Psalm 68. He says, talking about God, he's a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. He is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in family. You see, it was always the heart of God that man not be alone. It's always in the heart of God that man would not be alone. And so what that means is that God actually created us for family. And I believe what the enemy works over time at is trying to keep us isolated and keep us disconnected from family. And so he used his hurts and bad 
instances and all sorts of stuff to whisper to you, you're on your own, you're disqualified, you don't matter. Trying to sever you from the family of God. And we've even bought into this lie that I can have Jesus, but I don't really need the church, right? And let me say this. I know uh, that, that that for many is a tender subject because the enemy has tried his best to make the, the church an incredibly dysfunctional family. And so some of you have legitimate hurt from your church experiences, whether it was from leadership or people just in, in the church body, and it has really messed with you. Let me say this, the church is not perfect, but God is perfecting us in that we need each other, that we need to relate to each other. We need to learn how to have conflict and confrontation. We need to learn how to extend incredible grace to each other. We, we need, you know, a lot of times we focus on confronting people because we've been wounded, and that's not wrong. But the reason why we should confront people is because we love them and we value relationship, right? It's because I see you and I care about you, and there is something that's trying to disconnect me from the rest of my family, the rest of the body. And so I'm going to bring confrontation, not because I'm angry at you, but because I'm fighting for our connection, for our relationship. And so often we use correction and we see it as rejection and we use it as an opportunity to run instead of to be connected. Let me say this, to be family requires incredible humility. You know, when you grow up in a family of five, which is not a family of billions like we're all actually in, but I recognize that it's really just not all about me. Have you ever had that thought? Like, I think sometimes... We think that, that church life or that even God, like, yeah, I'm his favorite, you're his favorite, all that, but it's not all about you. It's just not all about you. It's not all, like, it doesn't, the church does not exist for you. The church exists for Jesus. And sometimes we try to make it as if the church was supposed to exist for me. And then we become consumers of the church, like, what, what religious goods and services do you have to offer me? That's not what God's doing. God's bringing us together as a family so that we can glorify Jesus and embody him to the world and be a bride prepared for him. So ultimately, if you get anything out of this, the church is not for you. <laughs> but it is. Because you belong and you have a place. I love this in Ephesians 2, it says this, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Ooh, aliens. Uh, outside the house. By the way, on the top of my notes this morning, it says have fun, um, just so you know. Uh, thank you. At least me, I, that was for me. I'm not concerned about you having fun. I'm concerned about me. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. And here's basically what that's saying. The, the phrase strangers and aliens, what it means is this, those outside of the house, those outside of the family. And what 
Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus. You see these folks had come through Judaizing and saying, hey, if you don't follow the whole law and become converts to to Judaism, then you don't fit in the family. You're illegitimate and you don't belong. And so what Paul was saying is, no, that's like heretical. That's horrible. You actually are not less than, but you actually belong in the family of God. And don't let anybody tell you that you don't belong to the family of God. And so then he uses that, that phrase um, that you are members of the household of God. And what that means is that your family inside of the house with all of the benefits of being inside of the house of God with God as your father. You're not an orphan. You've been readopted into the family of God. I love this uh, phrase. Well, I'll get to it in a second. God didn't tell Abraham to start a religion or an organization, he told him to start a family. This is from one of my my spiritual dads, Jack Taylor. He says this, if God would have wanted something other than a family, he would have have told us to call him, him something other than father. Let me see if I can read that again with clarity. If God would have wanted something other than family, he would have told us to call him something other than father. The church is the family of the kingdom. And you're not an only child. Here's one of the things that I think has been emphasized that probably, maybe throughout all Christianity, but I feel like in the last hundred years or so, we've emphasized a personal relationship with God. And let me say this, God wants a personal relationship with you. That's huge. He doesn't want you to have to go through somebody else, but he wants intimate connection with you. He wants every one of his kids to hear his voice. One of the greatest lies is that you could not hear the voice of God or that somehow you have to earn and get to a certain level to hear the voice of God. No, it's God's desire to speak to you, not based on your performance, but based on your relationship to him. Amen? And and so the enemy wants us, though, uh, one wants us not to be in relationship with God, But then if he can get us to just say, hey, I have a personal relationship with God and somehow we've turned that into private relationships. Let me say this. There may be private aspects of your relationship with God. There are things that God says to me that I I don't really care to talk about with anybody else. But your relationship with God was not meant to be private. Like sometimes we we start hearing like, oh, I'm uh, like, This is just me and God. Yeah, it's just you and God, but God wants to do something through you for the whole world. So he doesn't want you just to have a private relationship. I know we're not supposed to talk about like politics and religion with family or friends or whatever. That's just ridiculous. I don't really want to talk about politics, but I do do think that we're supposed to talk about our family and we're supposed to talk about our Father God. Amen? But I think what we've missed as we've talked about a personal relationship, which is true, I think that what we've started to, to miss is that it, that it actually also means that we're supposed to have a communal relationship with God. That God actually wants to do something in me through all of you and in you through all of us. And, and so God, he loves to love us through other people. How many of you know that when God said it's not good for man to be alone, Adam had direct relationship with God. And yet God was saying, hey, there's actually more. Here's what I think. I think God likes to love us through each other. He actually, he actually takes incredible joy in loving you through other people. He could love you directly himself, but he loves to love you through others. 
And so we actually, we need each other. We need to receive love from each other. And we need to experience God communally. When Jesus goes to his hometown, there's such incredible disbelief, unbelief about who he is. And it says there that because of the unbelief in the region that he could not do the signs and wonders that he was doing in other places. And then it says this, except for heal those that came to him. You see, my personal relationship with God, I can experience all that heaven has for me, personally. But there was something that because of regional unbelief, they weren't able to experience communally the power of God put on display that God wanted to do there. There is something significant about the power of God on display through community. In fact, I think a lot of times the breakthrough that you need in your life, God is doing it in somebody next to you first, and he wants to do it through them to you. Doesn't mean that you can't go straight to God and get what you need, but so often what he wants to do is do stuff through us communally. And the truth is, as I look out at you, I have learned so much about who Jesus is and who I am from you that I don't think I would have ever learned on my own. And and when we start to to realize that, that God wants us not just to have a personal relationship with him, but also to have a communal relationship with him. And I I think the the next words um, in the Lord's Prayer are significant for that purpose. When, When Jesus was teaching them and therefore us how to pray, he said, we pray, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe that the kingdom of God was meant to come to earth through family. That's why we pray our Father that God is teaching us how to live like family so that he can deposit in us and through us his kingdom to the whole world and so that the rule of heaven would be made known on earth through the family of God. Turn with me if you have your Bible to 1 Corinthians 12. Sorry, I didn't give them verses up there. Life has been a little bit crazy for me and my family over the last uh, few weeks. We are having a baby. We have two little ones. Uh, We're trying to sell our house, trying to build a new house, um, fighting sickness, all that stuff. And so I'm just a little bit late getting scripture up there. I hope you can recover from that. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, just as the body, though one has many parts, but it all, but all its many parts from one body, so, is, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. So we form one body. Say, we are one body. We are one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. I love that verse. In fact, several years back when I was doing campus ministry, I started a, a gathering of all of the ministries on campus called One Campus, One Body because I really believe that that's what God wants to do. He wants to do something. By the way, when we say one body and we're talking about the church, we're not just talking about Sozo Church. We're talking about the church of this city, the church of this region, and the church of the world. And, And we are one body. And so talking trash about other churches is talking trash about your own body. And so we like, and I love the differences 
in the body. I, I, I love the, the churches in this region and the pastors, and, I, and Steve and I both spend a lot of time with pastors in this region who are very different, have very different expressions than us, even different beliefs than us, but it is not our beliefs that keep us together. It is the love of Jesus that keeps us together. God never told us that the world would know us by our beliefs. He told us that the world would know us by our love. And so I think if we can agree that Jesus is Lord, that he died on the cross and rose from the, from the grave, then I believe that we are all running together, that we are one body. And those belief systems and religions outside of that belief system, outside of that singular statement, we can still love them too because they're a family that's just disconnected. Amen? So we don't need to talk trash about people. I got excited about that for a second. Thanks for letting me chase that one. Some rabbits you chase, other ones you shoot. I think we chased and shot that one. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we are all given the one spirit to drink. That sounds really good. I'm going to keep going, though. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. That means that we're not all the same. Say we're not all the same. All right, here's what I want you to do. One lucky person under their seat has a prize. I want you to look under your seat and see if there's a prize. Who's got it? Oh, you all got it, actually. That was just my trick to get you to look, because if I told you what was under there, you wouldn't have looked. But under your seat is this. Hold it up. It's a puzzle piece. If you sat in the very back section, uh, there's some up here. There's actually some seats up here, too. <laughs> um, uh, oh. But actually, come get a puzzle piece later. Um, I was praying for us this morning, and I just felt like God put a puzzle, put puzzle on my heart. And it's kind of silly, but I think it's actually really significant that we are, we are all pieces in a puzzle. The box on the puzzle has the picture of Jesus. Not this puzzle, actually. <laughs> but metaphorically, the box has a picture of Jesus. This puzzle is a puzzle of candy, <laughs> which is also good. And Jesus is like candy, right? Anyways. He's sweet. Um, no, but the truth is, is, is that we tend to, to look at each other and say, well, I'm not quite like them, and so I must not fit. And, and we think, well, I, I must not have a place. But I, I, I want you to get that what God is after, he's not after a body of feet or a body of eyes. He is intricately putting the body together in an intentional and specific way that fits and that only works when every piece takes its place. And when we start to recognize, hey, there is a piece of this puzzle that I play. How many of you get frustrated when you've worked so long putting the whole puzzle together and you're missing a piece? It's so frustrating. And we need you to play your piece, be your piece that you have a fit, and it's a little bit weird, right? Like puzzle pieces are all kind of weird. They've got like strange, like none of them are uniform. None of them are the same. They're all a little bit different, but they all have a, a place to play. They all have a place to go. And when we start recognizing that I'm a piece of the puzzle, and without me, this thing doesn't work, 
also. I'm a piece of the puzzle, and this piece means nothing apart from the whole puzzle. Like this is, mine's just got a little bit of green. Maybe you got some green on yours so we could be next to each other. I got some white and some red. But here's the thing, is that we all fit together to make this beautiful image of Jesus or candy, if you're looking at my box. Um, Here's the other thing, is that from here, I can see all the puzzle pieces that nobody's taken, all in, in the empty seats. And the truth is, is that outside these doors are pieces of the puzzle that have not yet found their place. Outside these doors are, are, are our family members that don't know that they have a seat at the table that they've been invited in. You see, what God wants to do is, is absolutely, he's, he's Lord and, and he wants us to all follow him. But in doing so, he wants to put us in family. He wants people to find their place. And the truth is, is that they'll never find their place in life if they don't understand that they're part of the family of God. And you can't do that if you're not a part of the kingdom family, which is the church. And so it's God's desire to put us all together in the places that we belong as as family. And so nobody else looks like you. Nobody else has the role to play that you have to play, but you belong, not because you're like everybody else, but because you are uniquely individual and and a perfect piece of the display of God to the world around you. Recently, I've, I've, I've heard this kind of, this theology that, that I've got Jesus in me, so I don't really need anybody else. And I just think it's bogus. It sounds great, but it's just not true. Because God created us to be a body that has parts. Does that make sense? And so family means that we are interconnected. And what the enemy wants to do is he wants to pervert individuality. Individuality is a great thing. We uniquely display the, sp- the splendor of God. But he perverts it into individualism, which means that I'm on my own and I don't need anybody else. And that somehow the differences between me and you make me not be able to connect with you. Make me better than you or worse than you or whatever, however your stuff is messed up in your head. But individualism throws us off and we should celebrate our individuality but kill individualism because it keeps us from looking like Jesus to the world around us. You see, the kingdom of God is family. And so Paul goes on to say, now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not be Uh, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them just as he wanted them to be. God is building the body. We don't have to build the body. You know, we're a new church, and so, you know, the, the phrase people use is church planning or starting a church, and are you building a church, and what, all that stuff. And I just want to say, man, we, we want to see, our, see family brought into family, but our, our goal is to let Jesus build the church, and we just participate with him. We're not trying to build his church. It's his church. We'll just partner with him and see it happen, and he's doing it, and it's really awesome. We, we as a team, by the way, never think, hey, what can we do to get more people in here just to have more people in here? Like, we're not trying to grow a church just to grow a church. We just want to see people brought into family. 
and yeah. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. We gotta stop saying that kind of stuff. We say it in different ways. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that are weak, that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unrepresentable are treated with special modesty. Does that make sense? Some parts of the body don't get the honor that they need. And we, just, we should have incredible honor for everybody and make sure that we uh, vocalize it, especially for those who don't seem to get any honor. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. I need no special treatment, by the way, because I'm not saying I'm presentable, but I'm at least presented. Um, <laughs> but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body. Say no division. Amen. But that parts, uh, but that it part, uh, I need hooked on phonics, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. By the way, we got to learn to suffer together and rejoice together. And my suffering should not keep me from rejoicing with you. And your rejoicing should not keep you from suffering with me. Amen. So love, not doctrine or dogma, holds us together. Everyone has a place. Diversity is embraced and celebrated. And here's the thing about family. Everybody serves. Everybody offers whatever they have to the body. And our value doesn't come by what we do. What we, do become, what we do is because we're a part of the family. So just because somebody has this role and you don't feel like you have that role or whatever, doesn't mean that you're not valuable and doesn't mean you have a place to play. Your value is because you're a child of God. Your value is determined by the price paid for you, which was the blood of Jesus. And so we should know that we're all valuable and that we all have a place to play. And that when you're missing, I'm frustrated because I'm trying to see the puzzle put together and that piece is just floating around out there. I'm not talking about attendance, by the way. We don't have, nobody took your attendance when you're in church, okay? Being part of the church is not about attendance, though if you're a part of the church, you should probably show up from time to time. But we are not, like, I've had people apologize to me and, like, send me a text, hey, just, just so you know, I'm gonna be out of town this weekend. That's okay. Like, that's all right. Uh, I'm not keeping up with your attendance. But if you're not here, I miss you also. All right, stand with me. Did you get what I was trying to say? Yeah. Okay, amen. <laughs> Let's make these declarations. There's only one me. Nobody looks exactly like me. Nobody fits like I fit. I belong in the family of God. And I need you. Tell the person next to you, I need you. Tell them we need you. I believe that God is teaching us what it looks like to be family. And that as we embrace this idea that we are a kingdom family, that it'll change the world when we start acting like family. I also think that the enemy is trying to cut us off to keep us from family. 
And I, I actually, as I was praying this morning, I had the thought of this, is that some of you need to receive the church. That you need to receive the church. Like, you've received Jesus, but you're, you're not very interested in his wife. And, and, and it is like receiving Jesus is primary, Right? Like that, that's what gets us into, into relationship with God and family. But there's also something significant about saying, you know what, in my heart, not, it's not like this religious confession kind of thing. There's not a salvation necessarily that comes from it. But what it is, is that I am embracing the church and all of its dysfunction, I'm embracing the church because I recognize that I need family. And we're learning how to do that. I was telling somebody, we're like a three and a half year old toddler as a church. And so we're just learning how to be family. We don't have it all down. And we need you because we don't have it all down. You have a part to play. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. And we love your bride. We thank you for including us in your body and your bride. We thank you for including us in the family of the kingdom. Thank you, God, that we're not orphans and that we're not only kids, but that we are your kids and that we are brothers and sisters together. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in the world, what you're doing in the region. I sense that there is a move of God increasing in our region. And so, God, we just bless every church in our region, every believer in our region. God, we ask that you would pour out your spirit. And Lord, even if it's not through us, let it be through the other churches in town. We, we want every church to carry your kingdom, to carry your heart and your revival. And God, we want in, but God, if you start with somebody else, we'll jump in with them. Lord, we just want to see you move in our region. We, we bless what you're doing. God, we say to the, the children of yours that do not know that they have a father and a family, we begin to call them back. In fact, here's what I want you to do. Just begin to lift up people in your life that are not walking with God. And just say, God, would you work on their hearts? I believe that God, that we're in a season where God is returning prodigals, lost kids to the family. So let's just begin praying for them. God, we thank you, Lord, that you're on the move, that you're working in our family members and our friends and our neighbors. God, we ask, Lord, that there would be such a move putting people in family. God, we thank you, Lord. We ask that you would teach us how to live like family. Lord, we thank you that you're giving us your heart. We love you. Jesus' name. Amen.